Hello and welcome under the Kotatsu. I'm your host Austin, joined as always by Danny. Hello. And Danielle. Hey nerds. Uh, and we are back to talk about anime. We're out of the movie zone. Feels like we've been watching movies for a while. Not that I mind. Now we're in the OVA zone. We're watching 1988/89's Gunbuster, uh, otherwise known as Aim for the Top. But um, talk about that in a moment. Uh, we'll go around the table and see what everybody's drinking. Danny, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm just having a, a nice crisp glass of water. What makes it crisp? Uh, the the frosted mug was also, fr- uh, mm. or the mug was also in the freezer, so it's like burns on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> burns that's so a, good. That's how cold it is. It burns you all the way through. Nice. Uh, and Danielle, what about you? Just a black coffee. Nice. Different kind of burn. Uh, <laughs> hot burn, not a cold burn. I am itching with the seasonal burn for fall, which today is officially at, at the time we're recording the the fall equinox. Uh, I'm drinking a uh, pumpkin spiced ale, which is very good, but also, as I was telling Danny before we recorded, a little bit stronger than I remembered, so got to be careful during this recording. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it was my pick after Danny uh, had just picked our two Yuasa films we covered, and I wanted to cross something off our list that uh, I'd been meaning to pick for a while. I just was in the mood for it, especially because there's a great, uh, which I can now say because I've watched most of it. Blu-ray release uh, for Gunbuster from Discotech Media. Big fan of them. Uh, but yeah, so I picked Gunbuster, which I have seen before. It's been a while, though. Um, I think I've only seen it the one time, uh, which would have been like when you showed it to me originally, uh, Danielle. I don't think I've rewatched it. And especially once like Gun- or, uh, Gunbuster. Uh, Discotech announced their Gunbuster release a while ago, so I've just been kind of been waiting for that as an excuse to rewatch it. But Danielle, what is uh, your history with the show? Um, I think I just uh, stumbled into it online while looking for, while uh, looking into Evangelion stuff because I really latched on to that when I was um, really starting to get into anime. Nice. And uh, Danny, you had not seen this before, right? Nope. Had you, did you know much about it before? I feel like, no, I think all that I've known from it is uh, when y'all have like mentioned it by name uh and every time i think every time you said die buster i was like am i mishearing them like it's not a, that's not a real word but apparently it is yep so is gunbuster also a real word um so yeah uh gunbuster is a uh released over uh the course of 1988 to 1989 ova series uh released in three installments initially um on vhs and then later laserdisc um uh, two episodes at a time uh as I said, the uh, actual Japanese name of it translates to Aim for the Top. Um, the American slash international name is Gunbuster, which is the name of the uh, titular mech in the show. Uh, Daniel, I know you know why, or I presume you know why. Danny, do you want to guess why it's called Aim for the Top? It's a, it's a combination of two other media properties, one of which I know you know. Um, do you want to take a guess at where uh, those words come from, Aim for the Top? Um, the only thing that I remember is, um, in the, in the anime there, there's like the top squadron, mm-hmm. uh, which for some reason mm-hmm. made me think of, uh, like top gun because they're ding, 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 ding. Okay. Yeah. I was yep. like, that's a very that's specific way, like name, but I, yeah, I don't know it's... the other, other one. 
it's it's def- also definitely got a bit of that Top Gun vibe to it, especially early on of like you know like their training. Uh, it's my it's my partner, to, my wingman. Exactly, exactly. Um, the other one, which is maybe a little bit more direct, but still like it's not it's not all of what's going on with Gunbuster. Um, famous seventies uh manga and anime. Uh, Aim for the Ace, uh, which is a tennis uh shojo sports slash romance uh manga anime. Um. Uh, the anime is directed by Osamu Dezaki, who is like, uh, like that's the show that makes him like a big name, and then goes on to do a bunch of stuff that he's uh, well known and liked for, like um, Dear Brother. I think he's involved with half of the Rose of Versailles anime. Um, also directed some of the better Loop on the Third specials. Um, geez, what else? Um, Dear Brother, if I didn't say that. Um, Dude's awesome. Uh, love his stuff. Uh, so, Aim for the Ace, obviously a big an- uh, influence on the animators of this, uh, which was uh, Studio Gainax. Uh, Gainax, if you don't know, it's the studio that made Evangelion. Um, this is directed by Evangelion uh, director Hideki Anno, um, who later would go on to do other things we know, like Shin Godzilla, Shin Kamen Rider, Shin Ultraman, all the Shins. Um, but he directed this. Uh, it's written by Ano, Toshio Okada, uh, Hiroyuki uh, Yamaga, uh, all of which who were founding members of Gainax. I think it's kind of important to have a little bit of context for Gainax. Um, they're a bunch of animation studio or animation students from Osaka University that formed um, originally it's Daikon Animation while they were still students. Uh, they made a couple student films um, that were kind of. Uh, they like kind of showed off their their talents pretty well uh, eventually spun that into Gainax their first commercial product uh was a movie called Royal Space Force The Wings of Hanamise uh which I recently got the I imported the Japanese 4K of that have yet to watch that but um have never seen it but uh that was a critical success but a commercial failure <laughs> um and then Gunbuster is their second attempt at a commercial product uh to make a OVA series, which was a huge success uh, commercially. Um, so kind of like gave the studio like its lifeblood to then go on and make things like Evangelion. Um, so important to have that context that this is like the thing that makes Gainax like a name um, for a lot of people. A uh, couple other production notes, or I guess only one other production note I've got. Uh, the music uh, notably by Kohei Tanaka. Uh, most people probably know him as the One Piece um, composer. Um, I looked it up because I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure he stopped doing One Piece at a certain point, like 500 episodes in. Like, nope, he's, he's been doing the music along with like one other guy for basically that show's entire run, which is insane. Um, and then also did the music for G Gundam, which I like the music for, and Gravity Rush, the video game series, which I know people enjoy and enjoy the music. Um, yeah, that's kind of, I think, all the background we need to get started, unless anybody else had. Do you want to do a quick vibe check? Because, um, uh, I was a little bit surprised to hear some early inclinations about uh, people's feelings. Danny, <laughs> uh, you want to, do you want to check in on your vibes for these first three episodes? I should say that, by the way, we did watch just the first three episodes. This is a six-episode series. We're going to do three and three. Yeah, um, I didn't love the, the first three so far. Um, it's very, like, like the, the main character is very ineffectual in a way that doesn't come across as like a, oh this is like critical to their their being um you know talking kind of pointing towards Evangelion for example because you know made by the same folks um 
in in Ava, Shinji like kind of had his reasons for being like having all these issues and everything, uh, and kind of was like thrust into this extraordinary circumstance where the world is on his shoulders and he has to fight alone and everything. Uh, whereas in this, it's just like someone who it's like yeah, they have their baggage for with their dad dying and everything. Um, but just in general, doesn't seem to have any agency, and and she just kind of goes from place to place, going like, "Onesama, Papa," and like that's it. Um, so I kept kind of waiting for her to do the damn thing, like to finally get in the mech. Like, oh, she did the thunder kick once. Now that's the point where she turned her thing around, and now she's gonna have agency. Uh, and then she kind of just doesn't. Um, and instead just gets a little bunch of people killed, and it's like, oh man, well, a fair. person killed, but a single person killed. And also, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> and, and like delaying, doing some interstellar stuff, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Danielle, uh, where are your vibes at after three episodes? Uh, my vibes are good. Um, then again, I love the show the previous times I've seen it. But uh, I was a bit surprised, like, how much just these first three episodes were set up. I thought I got into it a bit more quickly from memory, but... And to be fair, even getting into it, like, if this were to, you know, this is a six-episode series, so if I had to think back to it, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember it being really fast-paced. So, yeah, it's like six episodes. It has to be. Uh, it just happens to be, like, weighed out in the front. Yeah, no, I'm still going to, like, go to bat that I think the pacing in the show is incredibly well done, but... Oh, no. We'll get later. <laughs> I... I... I was teasing Danny earlier. I have some conjecture as to why the show is paced the way it's, it's paced, but purely conjecture. Um, but uh, my vibes are good as well. Um, I enjoy the show. It's very like, um, I feel like when I first watched this, I didn't have like the full context for like Gynax and like <laughs> what it meant for them to make a OVA after uh, failing to make a successful movie and uh, like all the people involved in this and what they would go on to do. But um, knowing all that now, it's exactly what you expect, like from what's on the box uh, for good and bad. Um, But it's, I think it's a fun show. I really had a good time with the discotheque Blu-ray for reasons we can get to, but uh, least of all uh, is that uh, there's a newly produced English dub uh, just for this new discotheque Blu-ray, which is awesome that it's, it's gotten a dub after all these years. Um, and it's really good. I, I really like the dub. I didn't take voice actor notes for the dub actors, but um, uh, I'll point out the ones I liked as we, we talk through the show. What's interesting, speaking of, um, you know, why this might have been the way it is, but just kind of a quirk of something, something I noticed. Um, the air date for these was October 7th, 98, or sorry, 88, for episode one and two. Three and four were December 30th, 88. Mm-hmm. And then five and six were July seventh, eighty nine. Like very weirdly spaced out. Not for an OVA though, because like you produce two episodes, you put it out on a VHS, you use the funds from that to produce the next two, and then so on. Oh, so, so, forth. so when this is air date, it's like a release date. Yeah, Wikipedia. The Wikipedia page. We were talking about this before we recorded. Me and Danny. The Wikipedia page for the show needs some tender love and care, y'all. Uh, anybody who's into <laughs> that sort of thing uh, could use a good overhaul. Least of all the the unwieldy plot description it has. Uh, that is not helpful. Yeah, this was written by like someone who was really into Gunbuster, but maybe needed to take a step back and think about what was important. <laughs> yeah, but also like went off of memory and forgot half of an episode <laughs> when they were writing the plot description. <laughs> Very funny to me. Well, the good news is I wrote all my own plot descriptions for this time. Feels like it's been a while since I've done that. So I'm like back in the saddle. Uh, I also watched these episodes twice because of the dub. So it was a uh, pretty easy to do. Uh, also like not the 
most complex show in the world, uh, honestly, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, so yeah, let's just get into it. Episode one is called, Whoa, Miss Amino and I are going to be pilots together? And Terabang at the end there. In the far future of 2023, <laughs> humanity has achieved faster than uh, light space travel, but now finds themselves under threat against a race of space monsters. Noriko Takuya, um, whose father was the captain of the space battleship Luxion, uh, that was destroyed during the first major battle with space monsters, vows to one day go to space to learn the true fate of her father. Uh, she trains up to be a mech pilot at a school along with other aspiring young pilots. She's She looks up to, uh, i.e. has a crush on, uh, Kazumi Amano, the best pilot in the school, uh, while she struggles to pilot her own mech. On the day that a new instructor, Coach Ota, arrives at the school uh, to lead these wannabe pilots training um, with the goal of selecting uh, two pilots to go to space. Uh, no one is surprised when Kazumi is selected, but everyone, including Noriko herself, is surprised when she is listed as the second pilot. Rumors circulate about Noriko getting the position, either because of nepotism uh, or rumors that she has a relationship with the coach. Pushed to tears and desperation by her classmates' bullying and her lack of belief in herself and her abilities, Noriko asks coach to choose someone else. He then takes her to see Kazumi working hard training, explaining that she, be uh, she can become just as talented as she puts as much effort as Kazumi does. Uh, cue the uh, classic 80s training montage as Coach works with Noriko to vastly improve her piloting skills. Uh, later, a rival student, Rei Sakuma, who's upset that she was not chosen alongside Kazumi, challenges Noriko to a mech fight late after school. Uh, initially, Noriko gets the shit kicked out of her, but has the sudden idea to turn off her visual monitor and pilot the mech on feeling and intuition. She's able to land a sick rider kick. Uh, they call it an Inazuma kick, but it's just the, the rider kick from Common Rider uh, <laughs> by another name. Uh, she lands a sick rider kick on Rey, uh, defeating her and showing the school that she's worthy of going out into space. Uh, the episode ends as Noriko, Kazumi, and Coach Ota wave goodbye to the rest of the school and head out into space on a Japan Airlines spacecraft. Uh, then in the science lesson, Noriko learns about space, ether fields, Tannhauser gates, and crystals. Um, if you don't know, the show has like a, like the OVA came out with science lessons, um, like in inter intercut in between the episodes, uh, that explain some of the science, both real and bullshit, um, uh, to you, the viewer. And it's like, the context is like Noriko needs to study up on her, on her physics. Mm. They're fun. And the discotheque Blu-ray does a great job of, um, when you play the episodes, uh, back to back, it will like properly play the space lessons in between them they're not just like cordoned off to a features menu um like i was expecting them to be which i think is great um so so crystals she learns about crystals which so far in these three episodes haven't come up they're called like ice seconds um not important to know at yeah all. <laughs> okay i also love the idea of like the writer kick being like oh my god this advanced move it's the first thing i would have tried just if i'm in a giant mech i'm gonna do a writer kick it comes naturally yeah it's also just the most like again watching it now from a better vantage of like hideki yano in his career it's like oh yeah of course they're just gonna be like wouldn't it be cool if the mech <laughs> did the rider kick uh but we can't call it that we got to come up with the name uh it's it's the thunder kick uh which is what inazuma means um but yeah what did what did we think of this first episode i i called it but my first note was uh damn i hope the the dad gets blown the fuck up and then <laughs> smash cut to five years ago he's been or six years later he was blown the fuck up i'm like yeah i think this first episode's really fun uh especially watching it um twice uh this week um which is like oh yeah this is like a like a very fun 
introductory episode for a six episode OVA. This is the most um like Top Gun slash aim for the ace this show is. I mean, like all of the stuff of like she's chosen for the team even though she's a rookie and the rival who thought she was going to be chosen is challenging her to match is all straight out of aim for the ace, uh, which is funny. Yeah. I, I was like, Oh, this is a good introductory episode. Uh, and then the next two episodes kept being introductory episodes. I was like, okay, I guess we can keep doing this, but <laughs> um, the, but yeah, no, I, I like this episode a lot. I, I loved how everything was like set up, you know, like she's not like, like, yeah, she, she idolizes slash crushes on, Oh god, I can only think of her as Onesama. Uh Kazumi. Kazumi. But is like, you know, not like a, you know, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the times you have like the dweeb uh as the main character here and then I'm just kind of thinking of like Isekai uh where it's like a, you know, a dweeb who gets brought to another world or whatever. But no, it's like she's just like a normal high school girl having a high school little crush and, you know, the upperclassmen are bullies or whatever. It's all like normal fun stuff. And then she does the lightning kick and it's like, Oh, that's cool. Great. And then they get on the Japan Airlines spacecraft. I'm like, hell yeah, let's fucking go. It's a nice little baby, little mini arc from, I don't believe in myself to, Oh, I believe in myself after all. It's that. And it's also like the, the theme of like, you're not just born an ace pilot. Like you, you have to work for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the, the revolutionary moment of her seeing Kazumi wearing the iron sandals, which is very yeah. funny. She's like sprinting upstairs wearing iron clogs. Um, but coach is like, she's not the most gifted pilot in the school. Cause she was born that way. She works like three times as hard as everybody else. Like you have that ability too, if you can like, you know, like work towards it, uh, which again is also very aim for the ace. Of like, hey, you got to take this seriously. Like, you can't just, you can't just be the the star of the class like overnight. Like, you've got to like put in the effort to get there. And she's like, oh, I guess I do have to do an '80s training montage to be able to do the lightning kick. Well, it's funny. She does the the '80s training montage and then still gets the shit kicked out of her. And then she does the lightning kick, mm-hmm. which is like good. I like that. Like, she has to remember the the fact that she needs to do a lightning kick. Yeah. Well, and she, you know, um, needs to turn off her targeting computers and trust in the force. Mm-hmm. love that as well not not a normal uh that, that to me is so clearly a star wars thing which is not like a normal hidekiano pull the writer stuff is way more uh what you expect from him maybe star wars got it from writer i don't know which one came out first don't don't tell me uh, but i think original common writers before uh star wars so maybe hmm. i also <laughs> love there's the force and common writer but <laughs> <laughs> I did love that, uh, like the shots of like the robots doing athletics, like them doing push-ups and jogging and stuff, mm-hmm. were really really fun. Um, and I was like, damn, I wonder if you have to opt in for the mech program, or if it's just like everyone becomes a, a mech or everyone goes to mech school or whatever. It definitely seems like it has the vibe of like we are so desperate for young youthful bodies to go out into space and die in our forever war with the uh, uh, the space monsters that we've just converted every high school in Japan to like. Top Gun Academy. And we are teaching high schoolers quantum physics. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The fact that they're using high schoolers don't doesn't really go like addressed so far. No one's ever like, you can't do this to us. We're only kids. It's like, no, we're gonna go die in the Forever War. Let's go. Yeah. I mean it seems kind of purposeful to me of like, oh yeah, they clearly want like youthful people who are gonna be limble and limber and can destroy their bodies out there uh for the military or whatever. But it seems like a kind of thing that like the people who made the show thought about that i was like oh isn't that cool isn't that interesting but then forgot to like 
put it in the show in any meaningful way, like have characters talk about it, or just thought that that would get in the way of the show being cool, which I think that's the thing to remember about this, or at least like this is my view on it, is like, this show is just like, hey, we've got a cool idea. I think that's the key to enjoying it for me is just like, there's some cool like science fiction-y stuff that happens, uh, especially later on, but already in these first three episodes. Um, But it is just like a bunch of like, young animators trying to prove themselves going we're just going to make something that's extremely cool and is going to appeal to a broad variety of people not to mention you need to do that like financially in yeah, the situation exactly. they're in exactly and they need uh, to show tna which is also why they're in high school yep yep i mean like what over in that period isn't showing t- tits and ass it's true yeah no that's the point like they, they got to do it <laughs> that's how you make your money I, was, uh, I did have a line uh, of damn bitch you live like this. There's a proto Misato shot essentially where after the jogging scene when like mm-hmm. she's getting, she gets kicked out of the mech they do a, a slow pan across all of her, her yummy delicious treats that she ate I guess. Yeah. Speaking of the uh, in my notes I, I called it anime's cheesecake uh, of like you know like the the, uh, the boob animation in, in this uh, series is ridiculous very of the time but I, I really like their workout uniforms i think they're fun design wise even if they are the most like you know <laughs> desi- designed for uh the male gaze kind of workout uniform i just think mm-hmm. they're fun i like they're very 80s they've got like the crop top t-shirt um over like a leotard um it's like a fun design also i feel the need to mention that like in western anime spaces like there's the term that's probably fallen out of favor by now but gynaxing for boob jiggle because of this Ova series? See, I... Yes, that's in the Western fandom. I've seen enough anime now to know that yeah. that's not a uniquely Gynax thing. People need no, to watch more not. anime. Or less. Yeah. I think part of maturing as an anime fan is is realizing a lot of the, the worship and uh, idol tree uh, Gynax has gotten over the years is, like, uh, uh, misfounded or <laughs> propagated by a particular kind of anime fan. Because, you know, what? I think the thing that Gynax makes after this uh, is... Uh, otaku no video which i would not recommend people watch for those kinds of reasons of <laughs> just like the most like horny 80s men <laughs> 80s to 90s men making a make a an ova to uh, to other horny young men not fun i really like the stuff with noriko and kazumi in this first episode of like the you know like uh like noriko being so fucking obsessed over kazumi i think it's very fun well, then she overhears uh, her basically saying, like, what the fuck? Like, I can't work with this. Her- like, who mm-hmm. is this lady? What the fuck? No. Yeah. Which came across mean here. But then later in episode three, she, like when, they, when she dissolves their partnership, I'm like, yeah, actually, that's fair. Like, I would do the same, probably. Ka- <laughs> like, Kazumi is, or uh, Nozomi. No, Nozaki. Nozaki? Nozaki. There's Kazumi and there's Noriko. Noriko. Oh, my God. Noriko has not proven herself to be, like, mm-hmm. okay to go out into real battle with. So it's like, okay, fair enough. But yeah, no, I like that whole, like, I mean, I hate that kind of character, which is why I was glad that they kind of had her be this mean, awful person. Like, I hate the kind of character who was like, oh, she's the most perfect class rep. She has 100% GPA and, you know, has long, dark hair and does, like all that. I hate that. Um, I think I talked about that when we watched Lucky Star, because there's one character that was like that. Um, so I was glad to see her also be okay with being a jerk mm-hmm. and and dissing the daughter of defeat, which uh, Lamau love a, a Dark Souls boss character. The daughter of D. 
Oh my! I God. think is 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 the graffiti on <laughs> uh, one of the graffiti's on it. They don't they they're not bothered to spell the whole thing out. Well, it's um, a daughter of initial D. Mm, so true. Reminds me that like the graffiti on her mech is like way harsher than I remembered it being. It has like written above the crotch like coaches use only or something like that. Oh my god! Like, oh Jesus Christ! Uh, like yeah, those girls are fucking mean. Um, this uh, I should probably say this now instead of waiting for the end. Um, because of watching this, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I I have the discotheque aim for the Ace Blu-ray. I'm gonna start watching that. So much of this is just stripped ripped straight out of the like opening few episodes of aim for the ace of like oh you got chosen to be on the team instead of uh one of the second years who we thought was a shoe-in uh you must be sleeping with the coach like it's just like straight out of there and like oh like i look up to the uh to the second year ace in the team and oh uh, we had this chance encounter where she talked to me for the first time isn't this great oh she's behind my back to the coach being like you've got to take her off the team now um, like all of this is straight out of aim for the ace never change Dekiano. i love that uh you just take things that you like from other shows and put it into your own shows <laughs> i think that's great more people should do that um because i don't feel like the show is like oh it's just aim for the ace but with uh max like by the time episode two it's like a very different thing but so much of this first episode is just like oh we're doing aim for the ace meets top gun that is what this is yeah i think we talked about this one time we're like talking about something that was in dragon ball z that's in another show it's like yeah just bring it over it's fine <laughs> like it, it's there because it looks cool as fuck like do it have have the second or the the whatever year be uh secretly a jerk it's fine it's awesome rip off it doesn't matter yeah. nothing put is the sacred. rider kick in every show every yes. show should have a rider kick house should solve a difficult uh uh case and then just like rider kick <laughs> the patient like oh no they need cpr right yeah kick. Need to hear uh what what's the actor's name? Uh Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie saying like a jump to the sky turns to a rider kick. <laughs> I I also love, by the way, that um Noriko has a a friend in this first episode. That she never comes back again. Uh just you wait. Oh, does she? Oh damn, I was gonna say like damn, uh-huh. I like that she doesn't come back. I saved her voice actor for when she comes back uh for next time. Okay. Because I say, like, damn, I, I like that she has, like, this friend, but she leaves her behind to, to, for the betterment of mm-hmm. mankind or whatever. Or maybe she comes back and she's 20 years older because she was in, like, light, light space. Who, who could say? Oh, oh. What happens to that character? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you'll be, you'll be, uh, uh, I was going to say pleasantly surprised, but sounds like not surprised. You'll be pleased with um, <laughs> what they do with that character <laughs> in a later episode. Um. Yeah, I feel like um we we hit all the major beats in this episode. I think. Um, uh, how do we feel about the opening and ending songs? I like the opening more than the ending, mm-hmm. but I like that both of them make it easy for me to edit in parts of it. Because sometimes, uh, listener, just if, if you're curious, I have to find a part that's not like that's not just ambient start music. Like if a, if a if a opening song has like a really famous vocal line or something like that, I want to catch that in our opening for these episodes. Uh, sometimes it's really hard because like the musical the 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 backing track doesn't really allow for a clean split into somewhere, and it's but like the vocals are like a minute into the song, so it becomes really hard, and I have to decide what to do. These ones are are bops right off the jump, like they're they're just really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely feel that. Definitely like the opening better than the ending. 
I think they're both fine. I'm not like a like a huge fan of either of them. Um, but they do have like that exact kind of uh cheesy production that like every anime like late to mid eighties uh anime opening or ending has. It just reminded me of every Gundam opening from like Zeta and Double Zeta that I like because of that <laughs> cheesy production. Um, so that's good. Good in my book. Um, trying to think of oh, uh, you know what's better than either the opening or the ending? Mm. The eye catch, the. Um, I like the the mechs that they train with. I guess they're pretty similar to the like standard mechs that they fight out in space with, but they've got like a like turtle shell kind of look to them. I think they're fun. Also, you, you mentioned earlier you like that you know they train in the mechs by literally like doing jumping jacks and pull ups mm-hmm. uh, uh, and sit ups in the mechs. I really like that one because it's like kind of fun and goofy. But also, I feel like this first episode does a really good job of selling you on, like, learning how to pilot a mech is just, like, learning how to, like, walk again. Mm -hmm. Like, it really sells you on, like, oh, it's hard to pilot one of these. Like, sometimes, like, Gundam shows can, uh, or other mech shows in general, but, like, Gundam in particular can make you feel like, oh, it's as easy as just, like, getting in a mech and you you can just move. Um, This makes it feel like, oh, if you don't know what you're doing, you're just going to, like, trip over yourself and die, Um, which is fun. Trying to think of other things. Um, I have in my notes uh, Nepo Baby Noriko. Because <laughs> everyone's oh, like, yeah. oh, she got on just because her father was a, a famous captain. Uh, it's like, yep, that's uh, Nepo Baby Noriko. I like that the coach reminds me of um, someone we've both met and have not met in Metal Gear Solid, uh, Kazuhiro Miller. Uh, oh, okay. Y- you'll see him in uh, Peace Walker for the first time, I think. But he's also in the, the first game, technically. Well, he's not. Liquid is, but... He's definitely, like, a very specific archetype of character. I can't really, like, place, like, a specific origin from for it. Definitely, like, predates the show, but, like, definitely shows up in a lot of other things. Mm. He's, um like, definitely another import from Aim for the Ace, because that also has, like, a harsh coach-type character, but I think the vibes are very different between the two of them. Um, and, obviously, the, the coach in this one has, like, you know, his backstory of, like, oh, he was on the Luxion with Noriko's father, and we see a bit more of that in the next episode. But yeah, I guess that was the, the first episode. I've got two voice actors to get us going on that. Uh, Noriko Takia is voiced by Noriko Hidaka. Oh my god. Pretty similar name. So yeah, Noriko Hidaka, um, also the voice of Minami Asakura in Touch. It's the, uh, one of the main characters in that. Uh, Kikyo in Inuyasha. Uh, Akane Tendo in Ranma One Half. Shiny Chariot in Little Witch Academia, which I was like, oh, I didn't know that, but of course. Uh, Mazumi uh, Sarah in Detective Conan. That's like one of the few times I've looked up an actor, uh, seen that they were in Detective Conan as someone that isn't just like a character that showed up in a single episode. That's like a reoccurring character. Uh, she's uh, Satsuki Kusakabe in My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, that name wouldn't mean anything to me either, but that's like one of the two main girls in that show. She is uh, Jean in Nadia, The Secret of the Blue Water. That's another Gainax uh, Hidekiano show uh, that came after this. Uh, this is for me and you, Danielle. Uh, she is Kotori's mom in Love Live. It's a very fun voice credit. Um, she is Princess Starla in Nichijo. Also another fun voice credit for me. Uh, and she is uh, Belle Mare in One Piece. That's Nami's adoptive mom. Rest in peace. Uh, and then Kazumi Amano is voiced by Rei Sakuma. Uh, she is Gigi the cat in um, Kiki's Delivery Service. She's Shampoo in Ranma One Half. Uh, she is uh, Morgan uh, Einsland in uh, Darkstalkers, the OVAs, which is super fun. 
Uh, she is a girl boss Raytheon <laughs> employee, Nina Purpleton <laughs> in Gundam uh, 0083 Stardust memory. Uh, if you know, you know. And she is Batako-san, a.k.a. Butter Girl in Anpanman. That's another show that like every time it comes up on a voice actor's uh, credits, it's like, oh, they were just like a background character in a single episode. But Butter Girl is a um, reoccurring character in that show. Also, Butter Girl. Remember when um, in Gundam... The lady in purple gets her head blown off by Char. Yeah. So fucking cool. That's true. I think about that almost every day. It's just like the, the, the like three frames of, of Cilia uh, Zabi or whatever her name is getting oh, her uh, head fucking blown off. Cassilia. Mm. You're close. I think about that, but I specifically think about the edit of it that uh, Jackson from Abnormal Mapping made that it plays like the ESPN, uh, like Monday Night Football <laughs> theme over it, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I then I think I think from that to the edit of the Order uh, 66 scene in episode three of Star Wars that Austin Walker edited uh, to have the, <laughs> the Fox Monday NFL theme or whatever <laughs> over top of it. Good stuff. Uh, that brings us to episode two, uh, which is called Daring the Genius Girls Challenge. In a flashback to the Luxian's battle with the space monsters, we learned that Coach Ota was saved by Norco's father, uh, who chose to go down with the ship so that Coach could take the last spot on the uh, last escape pod. Uh, back in the present, Noriko and Kazumi have made it to space. Uh, they stay aboard the space station Silver Star while the flagship uh, battleship Exilion that they will be stationed on is being built next to it in space. Um, the two of them are introduced to Russia, Russian ace pilot Young Freud. Yes, that is her name. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, who seems eager to challenge Kazumi. Uh, she gets her chance during an orbital flight training mission around the moon. Noriko, Kazumi, and Young deactivate their tracking beacons and engage in a fight that eventually takes them inside the unfinished Exilion, where they find the corpse of a giant space monster, which makes Noriko think about her father's death and the Luxion. Uh, Coach is pissed at Noriko and Kazumi uh, for going off on their own during the training mission, but asks the captain of the Exilion, Tatsumi Tashihiro, uh, to, look, uh, to overlook the incident. Later in the baths, the three girls form a friendship as Young uh, comes to recognize their talent. Uh, she invites the two of them to her birthday party, uh, which is in the next few months. Uh, that also happens to be Noriko's birthday. Um, the Silver Star Space Station detects a high-speed object approaching the solar system. Uh, Noriko and Kazumi are set out to inspect the object along with Coach as a means of giving them experience with sub-light speed space travel. Due to the effects of time dilation, every minute they spend at speed with the mysterious object equates to roughly three months in Earth time. Young sends them off by letting them know if they complete their mission successfully, they'll be back in time for her birthday party. Uh, as the girls near the object, they realize that it's what's left of the Luxion, the ship that Noriko's father captained, uh, and that in its relative time, the battle it fought in was only two days ago. Uh, desperate to find uh, if her father is still alive, Noriko storms aboard the ship in her mech to try and reach the bridge. She finally does, but finds it's been completely destroyed, confirming that her father is truly dead. Coach, uh, understanding that the more time they stay, the more time uh, they lose back uh, in Earth time, uh, frantically hurries to drag Cosme back to their recovery ship so they can deaccelerate and head back to the Silver Star. Um, they go over their operation time by 12 seconds. When they return to the Silver Star, they find that the Exilion has been uh, completed and Young's birthday uh, party has already passed. Uh, Young tries to console Noriko about her father, but fails uh, to because um, while she learned of his fate months ago, it was only uh, moments ago for Noriko. Uh, 
Uh, and then in the science lesson, Noriko learns about Starbows, the Rip Van Winkle effect, and how all physicists are big meanies. <laughs> she learns about the Rip Van Winkle effect, which is like, you know, like, oh, you can, you know, like, you know, uh, be traveling at like the speed of light and then come back to Earth and 20 years have passed and you're like, whoop, Rip Van Winkle waking up on the mountain. Uh, and then she goes, wow, Einstein was a meanie. And uh, Coach is like, well, if Einstein was a meanie, then all physicists are meanies. Mm, it's, true. it's true. All physicists are meanies. Mm-hmm. What, what would that be? A, A, P, A, M, A, Pam. Yeah, A, Pam. It reminds me of, um, it's like an opening to like a statistical physics book that's like, uh, you know, Gauss tried to uh, uh, catalog his, like the, the, like to research uh, statistical physics and he took his own life three years later. Max Planck did the same, you know, in 1940, whatever. Thus, we must approach this topic with some caution or something like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm screwing up what physicists they are, but whatever. Well, we know they were big meanies. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, what did we uh, think of episode two? Uh, this is when I started getting fed up <laughs> where I was like, okay, main character, I get this is high drama for you, but we got six episodes and we're like a third of the way through and all you've been doing is crying and saying, Onesama, come on, we gotta go. I mean, I was still having a good time. I was uh, still thinking the pacing of this is what I think is nice because first episode, you just got the classroom set up. Here you have, oh, you meet the rival. This should be one episode. But those should be together. Like, this is like, this shouldn't... This this episode or the first episode, I'm fine with either of them. But together, it's just like so much time dedicated to our main character being just like nothing. Like, just, just a... a blank slate that's getting yelled at i can definitely agree that like noriko doesn't like do a whole lot or um comment a whole lot on the state of things until the very end when she um confronts the floating space coffin uh that her father died (laughs) in um which is sick yeah i like it definitely like feels more about young and kazumi because it's like young young says like 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 in her words, treats Kazumi and Noriko as, like, equal rivals, but it's really Kazumi that she's, like, setting up a rivalry with. Um, and also, like, that rivalry immediately turns to a friendship, like, halfway through the episode in a bathhouse scene, because, of course, it's a anime's OVA, or anime OVA from the 80s. We've got to get a bathhouse scene and some titties. And I liked their, their chemistry there. Like, you definitely got the feeling that uh, Noriko and uh, Oresama were, like, you know, on edge, or they thought they were like, why is this person talking to us? Like, they're like, oh man, she's like, she, like, they were uncomfortable with how she's acting like buddy buddy with them to like where they're like, oh, can we trust her kind of thing? Cause I was like, oh, she's like setting something else up. But no, she just like genuinely seems like, hey, we got off on the mm-hmm. wrong foot. Y'all really are, are my equals. Let's be friends or whatever. See, I always read that as her being uh, like Noriko and Cosme being nervous because Young is way more like, like open with her nudity than <laughs> the two of them are. Oh yeah, she did start by saying like, "Oh my my bra's so tight, I, my my titties are sagging." Well, no, she's like, "Oh, the zero G is nice because <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't oh, have to worry oh. about." She says like, "Oh, like zero G is so nice on my boobs," um, which in the dub she calls them her twins or the twins. It's like, "Oh, zero <laughs> zero G is so nice on the twins." Oh, like, that's a great translation. Thank you. Okay, was it just me, or is there, like, the fucking lunar lander in the bathroom? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, you, you gotta have, like, a good partition in your in your uh, communal bathroom, and what better one out in space than a picture of the lunar, lunar landing? You, you need a good partition 
but you also need to have big open windows that people can see through on when they're training. Yeah. Which is like dumb, but I do think it's funny that like like a squad of like boy pilots like fly by and the heads of their mechs are clearly turned to like see through the window when they're flying the opposite direction. Like it's like, eh, this didn't need to be in there, but like the like uh I don't know, like the the staging of it is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not like, oh, like, it's not like, oh, a bunch of boy mechs come and they, like, push the faces of their mechs up against the window. It's like, no, they're, like, doing their training exercise, but they're clearly all turning their heads the, the other way. Well, especially um, it's nice because, like, it, it's it's set up as, like, a little gag versus, like, something more because we haven't seen any boy pilots up until this point. Up until this point, I was like, are there only girl pilots? Which they're not. There's um, I think there's like a throwaway line in the first episode of like, oh, they're gonna select two uh boys and two girls to go out into space, uh, even though the like plot of the episode is only really focused on which two girls they're gonna send mm. out into space. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, um, speaking of like piloting and and ships and all that, um, mm-hmm. I I just would have built an escape ship that has enough spots for everyone on board <laughs> for all the crew members. Yeah, right. Like, do they just go like, okay, we can only have this many people. Ah, some people are gonna die in the initial explosion, so we can we can skimp on a few seats. That's so stupid. I mean, it's likely that some of them are destroyed in the attack, or some people leave before they're at capacity. But I would still build it just in case, you know. <laughs> It's either we have enough uh, escape pods for everybody, or we have extra nukes, and we're going to go for the extra nukes. Yeah. Because then we'll win, and we won't need the escape pods. Mm, true. There's also, like, a, I think the implication is, like, they sent the Luxion out into space to, like, you know, very Star Trek, like, explore the unknown parts of the galaxy. And then they came across space monsters, not expecting to come across space monsters. Like, ah, shit. <laughs> What the fuck? So they probably didn't expect to need the escape pods or need need a lot of escape pods. I don't know. If I were the manager, I would have sent a few production notes back. I do just love the like the drama of like, no, you go on ahead, but I'm injured, Captain, and you're the you're the captain. It's like, no, precisely why I'm gonna go down with this ship, my boy. It's like I I love that shit. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And seeing like watching the the video of his daughter before he goes, yeah. Yep. And it, it gives you like a good sense of like why coaches kind of the way he is especially about like kazumi or not kazumi um noriko and also like gives you just enough time with noriko's dad to be like damn that is papa that is that is daddy though i i did want him to be in the in the space coffin still just like evil or like oxygen deprived like amuro's dad Mm. like i want him i wanted him to be there um but you know Eh, yeah, she's, he's I gonna give it. Noriko the an upgrade part for the the gunbuster that's clearly just a bunch of junk. Mm-hmm. That part of Gundam is so good when he meets back up with his father again. Everything with his uh, parents, I, I love. Yeah, um, damn, remember mom, Gundam? Yeah, his mom is like, "Go fuck yourself," right? <laughs> like she's like, "I can't be around someone who kills people or something." Yeah, she's like, "I can't believe I raised uh, a soldier uh, mm-hmm. or someone who would go on to be a soldier." Remember Amuro, everybody that's ever fought for their country is a clown, or whatever the the fake <laughs> boss quote is. <laughs> our listen to right our it. yeah, listen to our Metal Gear podcast, Cry My Metal Gears, where we talk about in in several months, I guess we'll talk about the boss. Oh my god, yeah, that's that's in like like two months or an hour or something like that. Yeah, yeah, month and a half. So yeah, what a, what about uh her name, young young Freud, huh? <laughs> They just literally just tried to pick the most German name possible. Well, like, I, I, speaking from experience, naming characters is very hard. But, like, come on. <laughs> you just took, <laughs> like, 
Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud and was like, yeah, just squish those two names <laughs> together. Like, it's even funnier to like think like, oh yeah, this is the fucking prototype. Asuka is young Freud. Yeah, it's also just funny to me that it's it's like not just that you took like two like famous uh, German guys' names and squished them together, but it's also both the like uh, psychoanalysis guys because of course I'm I'm sure half the people working on the show uh, think they're deep because they've read Freud and read Young because. Um, that's the vibe I get from a lot of the Gynax people. Well, like, young Freud doesn't do any real psychoanalysis. She just kind of is there. No, yeah, it's it's not like a, oh, there's, like, a thematic reason we named the character that. It's like, other than they, other than they the people who made the show read way too deeply into, like, the bathhouse scene in some sort of way, where it's like, ah, oh, it's like, you know, her boobs are big, therefore she's like her mother. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever bullshit psychoanalysis they're trying to do. Say what you want. Mm-hmm. Say what you want about Hideo Kojima, but when he names someone Young Freud, it's because they are yeah. like the offspring of Carl Jung and uh, Sigmund Freud together. A hundred percent. But also, he he wouldn't he wouldn't do that. It'd be like, oh, uh, Sam Porter Bridges. This is uh, this is Octopus Freud. <laughs> like it would be, or <laughs> Big Freud Man. <laughs> I was gonna say, is my name is Young Brain Man, Brain yeah. Analysis, or something. Yeah, my my name is uh fir- first name uh psych last name Onalysis. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I was gonna say Kojima should make a a mecha anime, but I mean Zone of the Enders, so mm. basically already did. Yeah, I you, you were talking before Danny. I feel like this episode and the third episode could ideally be one. It makes sense that they're not because it's an OVA series, so you know you want to kind of stretch for time a little bit uh, mm-hmm. in like a six episode series, not like do it all too quickly um but like the stuff with like the orbital training around the moon and like the uh fight between Kazumi and um young freud <laughs> <laughs> definitely like either doesn't need to happen or like goes on for a little bit too long but i do kind of appreciate that like in these three episodes like the scope of the show kind of slowly increases uh much like the opening animation where it starts in like zoomed in on japan and then by the end it's zoomed out to like the milky way mm-hmm. which is cool um but like you know like the first episode is set in the school on earth and the second episode is set in orbit in the space station and then the third episode is going to be like far out in space like i like the way that the show kind of like telescopes out like that but it it is kind of a shame that like noriko doesn't really get more to do in like the first half of this episode and she's mostly kind of like passively reacting to everything like that's a little disappointing i'll agree to that but i really like the second half of this episode where they go and investigate the luxion yeah, because she didn't, like, Noriko, uh, you know, freaks out and, like, you know, jumps, like, kind of goes off script, jumps on the, the ship and, and all the other stuff. That's all great. Like, that's her finally having agency. Um, I was a little grumpy that, again, it was her yelling, Papa, for a whole, ep- like, half an episode. But it was still, like, with good reason and, like, had, like, the high drama and high, act, like, stakes of, like, hey... If we're not back in time, every second is going to shoot us past our schedule kind of thing um, in, in terms of, like, Earth time. So I was all here for that. I think that was great. Um, uh, shame that Papa didn't c- come back as, like, evil. Because I didn't know at this point, when they say, like, space monsters, do they mean, like, big snakes in space? Or do they mean, like, um, you know, just like an alien species that's, like, also sentient and, like, you know, whatever? Um, they did show us, like, the giant body of one 
Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, maybe they are, they are kind of like Earth Defense Force style yeah, it's giant much bugs. Um, yeah. But I just didn't know. It's like, oh, they sent, um, uh, I almost said Amuro's dad, uh, Noriko's dad back as uh, a, a sleeper agent. Or if it was just like, nah, they would have sucked his brains out. Yeah, it's very much the kind of like galactic sci-fi thing of like, it'd be too much trouble to create an enemy that's got like any sort of like uh, understandable like uh, reasoning and like politics to their actions. So we're just going to say, oh, they're giant bug monsters and they just want to kill everything. Mm. Very much a, of a type. Uh, like a big touch point for these episodes that go out into space is like, um, especially like the naval combat stuff is um, space battleship uh, Yamato. Which, if you've seen the last Evangelion film, you'll you'll see full force Adekiano just doing that stuff. Yeah, they're just they're just big bugs. Which I kind of like. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next episode, I guess. I kind of like how they don't show you the space monsters too in full until a little bit later. Although I would, I could see that being frustrating, especially in the next episode. But we can talk about that when we get there. Um, yeah, the time dilation stuff or the time uh, dis- distortion or whatever. That's like, I, like, I know it's a real thing. Does it, y'all are more science oriented than I am. Does it like what happens in this episode, like kind of check out with like what theoretically would happen? Yeah. I mean, I don't know necessarily the uh, amount of dilation per unit time once you get to that, because they're talking about like going 99% the speed of light or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you get the, uh, the big changes. Cause if you're going like, yeah, it's just, it's all fucky because like, in real life it's like not really possible to get that close to the speed of light for a um extended period of time but that's generally what we think what happens because of relativity yeah basically as you hit light speed like it was absolute like once you're at light speed then like time is completely stopped essentially i guess um but like rel- in relative terms i guess uh but yeah the as so yeah them going that fast it would dilate as much um but like the fact that they're going that fast to begin with is not uh real yeah there's just something about like the logistics of all of that that i kind of have to like turn off a part of my brain that wants to like fully understand it and just go like oh yeah i'll just take your word for it like yeah that that's how that would work because mm-hmm. um, i know it is like based off of like real theoretical thinking but like the way it's like deploying the show does come across a little clunky where it's like i don't feel like this is well explained but i'll just go with it or like it it makes sense like i understand like the oh like yeah time is passing at a different rate but something about like the logistics and also like them being like oh it's like approaching like the solar system i'm like oh well would you really lose that much time but like whatever that's not it's genuinely not worth worrying about i think conceptually it's very cool probably like the coolest conceptual like science fiction thing about the show is the time dilation stuff yeah, could you imagine if this was uh, uh, written by Toe and Joe? Oh my god, it'd be miserable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. If people don't remember, that's a guy who wrote two of our least favorite episodes of Space Dandy, the fourth dimensional girlfriend one, and the like... Library mm-hmm. of Infinity or whatever. Yeah, the the really bad fake Borges story. Um, not good. Um, we get another Inazuma kick, but this time it's Kazumi, and this time she does a Inazuma reverse kick because she mm-hmm. like kicks off from like a a platform in the uh, Luxilion or the Exil- Exilion, uh, which are just the most like anime ass like ship names ever. <laughs> um, I love the design of the uh, Exilion. It's oh, I forget what it's called in like the last uh, of the original Star Wars episodes. They they have like a super star destroyer 
battleship that's nice and like sleek looking like that, uh, like the Exilion is. Mm. Uh, but I think I think it's cool, and I also love the shots of like it out in space and still being under construction. Um, I think that shit is cool, like the like the in orbit construction of like a spaceship like that, and also like they come across it uh, like from a distance uh, and Noriko's like, oh, it's smaller than I thought it'd be. And Coach is like, you shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's hard to understand the scope of things in space. Wait till we get closer and then they fly right past it. And she's like, oh, damn, that is big. And, and Coach is I also like, like mm-hmm. how, like, the ship construction thing's like a pretty effective, like, background detail about the, uh, the time change in the episode. Yeah, I didn't even think about that until, uh, I think, Austin, when you were talking about the like going through the plot summary, I was like, oh yeah, it did get built. Like they were gone for like six months. Yeah, I think that's a real cool, like easy way to show the fact that they lost that much time out there. Especially because like early on in the episode, they say like, oh, it's like July right now and the ship's not going to be finished till February. Um, and they come back and it's like, oh, hey, the ship's finished. It's like, ah, oh, shit, it's February. Fuck, <laughs> missed my birthday. Also, that stuff is just like, there'll be some stuff later on where like the time dilation stuff will really like throw people off i won't say more but like just such a small thing of like damn i fucked up the mission and i missed my birthday and i missed this party that my friend was gonna throw it's just like a like a small thing but it's like damn you really feel that and she's got to be like hey i this just happened to me i'm trying to process like fully realizing that my dad is dead and y'all are like hey congratulations and also the ship is built (laughs) I think that's a really good like emotional uh, moment. Mm-hmm. I think in general, this show has a lot of, um, I think this is like a, maybe like a emblematic of a lot of Hidekiana stuff. Like I feel this way about uh, Ava and other things of like, like, like the show might not be like the deepest, um, like thematically um, or narratively, but like knows how to f- effectively deliver like a strong emotional moment. I feel similarly about the end of episode three. Um, uh, but I, th- I think the end of this episode in particular is really strong in terms of just like, oh, damn, that does fucking suck for you, Noriko. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I also like that, like, since this is an early episode, it's just like, here's a tiny little um, staying in light speed too long and the effects of that versus what they can do in the later half of the show. Yeah, totally. Um, I was actually thinking about this, something I hadn't thought about before until I was rewatching it with the dub. Um, that, you know, Noriko talks about, I think, also in the next episode, but she gets like a flashback of like her father visiting her in this one, I think. But she talks about like her father only ever visiting her on her birthday every year. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, oh, it's because he's so busy out in space. Is that like a time dilation thing? Like for him, is he visiting her like every three months? But for her, it's like every like once a year only on her birthday. I have no idea, but probably. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was like a cool little thing that like they don't really spell out. But it's like, huh. That would make sense. So I thought that was cool. I also think the sci-fi warping stuff doesn't have the same effects. There's something about they mentioned it in the science lessons of like a like anti uh, degenerate engine or something like that. Um, so I think you're right. Um, so may- maybe that's not the case, but I think that would be cool if that explains why like he's gone for a year at a time and can only come back basically just to wish her a happy birthday. Um. I think the only other thing um, I have to say, I meant to bring this up when we were first talking about uh, young Freud, which is funny to say to me because it makes it sound like like young is in like like young versus old. Like, oh, this is young Freud as opposed <laughs> to old Freud. Um, in the dub, they give her like a, a Russian accent. Oh, okay. 
which I don't I don't know enough about like Japanese accents to know how you could even do that in like Japanese, like what a Russian accent sounds like in Japanese. But they're they make a conscious decision to have her do a Russian accent in the dub, and it's fun. They don't go like it's like subtle, like it's not subtle, but it's like slight enough that it's not like oh you're doing a cartoon impression of a Russian accent, but it's clearly like an affect that they're doing. Um, I thought it was fun. That's interesting to me because like I she reads as like um what's effectively east german to me and i have like no idea like if accents change during like that short period of time i want to know but she does have um like when when they first see her they see her mech before they see her and it's straight up got like the russian flag on it like the soviet flag on it so she is like explicitly russian or soviet the soviet yeah but um yeah, the dub is the dub is good. I I don't think I mentioned it in the last. I mean, I've said the dub is good, but I don't think I mentioned it about the last episode. But was immediately sold on the dub actors for um Noriko and Kazumi. They're both very good at playing the the types of characters there are. It's same thing with Coach. Coach is really good. Like his voice actor is very good about like the scene where he's like yelling on the megaphone, being like real like no bullshit like athletic coach, and then like in the scene where he's just like directly addressing Noriko, being like real like like. He almost sounds like a Metal Gear character, like just real gruff and like <laughs> weathered. Um, so re- really enjoy the the dub performances. Um, and and Young's voice actor is fun too. I think my only problems with the dub are some of the like more minor characters. I'm not as sold on. They're not bad, but they don't like fit the character to me. Whereas I feel like the especially Noriko and Kazumi, like those those two uh, dub voice actors do a really good job of uh, matching the character. And also in general, like to dub a show like that's 35 years old this year which is funny uh to think about and uh like that dub not feeling like i feel like sometimes when you dub an old show like that like the dub feels new while the show feels old and that mismatch really bothers me this dub doesn't have that problem um whether that's something they did on the production level or just like a post-processing thing it doesn't sound like oh the audio is too clean for a show that looks this uh grainy uh and old Uh, Mm. but it's good i like it uh anything else about Episode two. Yeah, no, good uh good second half. Kind of annoying first half. IMO. Yeah. No, I I can see that. Um, two more voice actors uh for uh this episode. Uh uh Coach, aka uh Koichiro Ota, is voiced by Norio Wakamoto. He is Alexander Anderson in Helsing Ultimate. He is Oscar von uh Ruenthal in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, the original. Uh he is Cell in Dragon Ball Z. Oh my god. Fuck yeah. Uh, he is uh, Rao in Fist of the North Star, the uh, TV anime version, since there's been a million voice actors to voice that character over the years. Uh, I'm going to skip this one. I'm going to save that one for last, actually, uh, in the order I've written these out. Uh, he is Whole Horse in the um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure 2000 OVA. Uh, he is Deus Ex Machina in Mirai Nikki. Which I've not seen that show, but we've talked about it before offhandedly, and I'm like, of course that show has a character just named deus ex machina um he is uh charles z britannia in code geass uh and he is geist in md geist uh the, the one i saved uh I, I literally have in my notes oh no uh he's vicious in cowboy bebop oh no so yeah so some good roles but you're sorry uh norio wakamoto you're canceled <laughs> the wor- one of the worst villains in anime uh and then young freud is voiced by maria kawamura she is naga in slayers because of course she is 
she's uh, Galha Lisi in and uh, Lilith Fow in uh, Elgheim. In case you can't tell from the names, that's a Tomino show. Um, two more Tomino things. She is uh, Kess uh, Pariah in uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack. Love her. Um, I also would see Char and be like, damn, I'm going to devote myself to him. Mm-hmm. Um, she is uh, Cham Fao in Aura Battler Dumbine. Uh, fucking love that character. That's another Tomino show. Uh, All time great Tomino character. Um, oh, I guess a half of these are Tomino characters. Uh, she's uh, Bell Torchica, uh, which is a Zeta Gundam character, but specifically in the new translation films, not in the original. Um, and then when that character shows back up in Gundam Unicorn, uh, she also voices her. And then this was interesting. I didn't, I guess, forgotten that this character actually has voice lines. She voices Asuka's mother in uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh. Uh, the show. I guess in like flashbacks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I didn't really think about that of like, oh, who voices Asuka's mother? Uh, but it's young Freud, <laughs> which, which that makes more sense. <laughs> if Asuka's mother was like, ah, yes, my mother, young Freud, that would make all the <laughs> sense of the world. Um, God, they should have they named Asuka like Asuka Freud. <laughs> Oscar Young. That would have been good. Kojima would have done that, to borrow our earlier point. All right, well, that brings us to episode three, which I have in my notes as First Love Star, First Sortie. It's got like a star in the middle, but First Love, First Sortie, which is one of those, I don't know how y'all feel about this. Do y'all like words that you just feel like don't sound right when you say them? Yeah, I always want to say like, like, sort, like, the, I.E. at the end of sortie, I want to say like sortie, like sortie or like sorte or I don't know, something else. Yeah, that's well, it's just like it's not even like looking at it. It's like when I say it like sortie, it's just like that's like a thing a child would say. That's not a real word. Mm. Uh, I feel the same way about in this. Again, it's not like how the word's written or the content of this word, like the meaning, but it's like something about panties. I hate that like combination of sounds mm-hmm. and vowels just like let's use a better word for that it doesn't sound very pleasant yeah. uh, or like feels pleasant to say i guess as well yeah I, i've never said the word panties and not felt like i was saying something that i shouldn't like mm. i don't know because especially because i i don't know i associate the concept of panties like with children or like mm. it i don't know like un, like undies panties like those are yeah. kind of the same like mindset to me like i i'm not saying that y'all do not buy women's underwear i i, I see <laughs> no i, I do not <laughs> but i get you it sounds like a like a, a child way of referring to that kind of thing yeah if i was about to like get intimate with someone and they said let me take off my panties i'd be like uh, give me a minute <laughs> but um uh, Oh yeah, but sortie also sounds like something like a slang of like, hey, do you want to go to the movies? Eh, sortie. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's something like Boston people would say. I don't know. Like... Mm, definitely. This is why I think like cuss words are the cuss words that they are because they're fun to say. You know, like mm. fuck is just fun to say. Cunt is fun to say. Maybe others feel different. Write in. <laughs> what words do you like to say and not like to say? <laughs> Send us just l- emails of swear words. Go for yep. it. Anyway, episode three is called First Love for Sortie. Uh, as the Exilion makes its way towards the star Leaf 64, uh, the girls are forced to stay in the room uh, in their room while the ship is in subspace. Uh, that doesn't stop them from telling each other ghost stories and playing truth or dare. Norikor is dared to sneak into the mech hangar and tie her headband as a mark um, that she did it. She runs into American pilot Smith Torin. Uh, who is uh, similarly dared by the boys uh, from his quarters. 
The two of them are caught by coach and put on or put on laser cannon cleaning duty as punishment. Uh, as the ship nears uh, Leaf 64, it's alerted to the presence of space monsters in the system and prepares for battle. Kazumi is worried that Noriko is not ready for battle and begs Coach not to let her sortie. When Coach refuses, Kazumi declares that she no longer wishes to partner with Noriko. Noriko happens to overhear this and is upset by Kazumi's words. Uh, dejected, she runs into Smith, and the two agree to become partners during the battle. The, co- the battle commences. It's the first battle to utilize mech troops. They send out the teams of pilots and have them space out to try and catch the enemy monsters as they break through their defenses. Uh, Noriko is terrified uh, that she can't uh, even see Smith uh, with how far spaced out they are from each other and has trouble finding the aliens as they fly fly quickly past her. Uh, Eventually, she loses communication with Smith and begins to panic. Realizing the monster's attack was a diversion while they use the nearby star to incubate their eggs, the Exilion calls uh, for its surviving forces to return to the ship. Noriko returns, uh, but there's no sign of Smith. Later, as the ship re-enters subspace, Noriko sneaks out again, uh, this time to go visit the men's quarters, hoping to find Smith, but instead finds his comrades grieving him. She then finds Coach in a control room with the Gunbuster, a large experimental mech currently in development, uh, behind him, uh, where she confines in him her emotions about losing Smith. She pleads with Coach uh, to help her train and hone her skills. Then in the science lessons, there are two following this episode, uh, Noriko learns about warp technology uh, and the space monsters uh, while revealing herself to be a huge otaku, specifically a fan of Getter Robo and Ultraman Ace. She is just Hideki Anno, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I really like it when he's put on the cross. Someone should make an anime where people are put on crosses. Yeah, you know what's fucking cool? Crosses. Has anyone, has everyone <laughs> had this had this revelation before? I'm gonna make a show about it. Um, yeah, it that genuinely one of my favorite moments across these episodes is in the science lesson where she's like, "Oh, the monsters are just like the monsters from Ultraman Ace," um, <laughs> except they can't say that. So it's like instead of Getter Robo, uh, at least in the subtitles, it says like Getter P Robo and Ultra P Ace. But we we all know what she's talking about. Mm. But yeah, uh, we're in space, and we're heading to the star Leaf 64, my favorite non-existent Nintendo 64 mascot platformer. <laughs> so it's uh, when Nintendo tried to get in with the stoner crowd. Oh, they like leaves. <laughs> Weed 64, <laughs> am I right, gamers? <laughs> hey, any geeks and gamers in the crowd? One of my favorite bits in this episode is like the bit about the captain being like, ah, yes, the Leaf 64 system. I, I was out here uh, as a young man uh, when I was a, a star navigator and, oh, it's a beautiful star. It's young, just like our own. And then they, they see it and he's like, by, by God, it's a red giant. What happened to it? And then the reveal at the end that it's like that's how the monsters like incubate their eggs is in like inside of stars and force them to go supernova. Yeah, they're like, like, wait a minute, like this, this hideous red giant. This we, we have, we must have the wrong coordinates. And that's mm-hmm. like, no, sir. It's as he's uh, sucking the sushi off of his fingers because that's what yeah. the like, captains get to eat and his, his mm-hmm. fancy plates of sushi. Yeah, uh, this episode, by the way, uh, my feelings for it are mixed, but generally negative <laughs> because I liked uh, Slager Law or whatever his name, Smith, Smith, <laughs> Smith Torin. Smith Kierkegaard. Rest in peace. Um, rest in peace, Smith. Um, P the the or we'll say Rip because it's either piss or peace depending on who you're talking to. Um, and 
uh, it's just another chance for Noriko to, after several, like, she's had that moment of like, oh, the coach told me how to survive and I'm going to remember my training and turn off the, the, use the force and all that shit. Like, she's had that talk twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, again, just fucks up as soon as she gets out there, doesn't even fire a shot. It's just another chance for her to be completely incompetent. And it's like, okay, I get it, anime. You have three episodes left. You gotta keep going, buddy. Mm-hmm. She needed, like, a W in between the incident with the Luxion and the battle with the space aliens. Mm-hmm. Like, they needed to, like go out in a training exercise and she just like fucking nails it you know Mm -hmm. and then come come to the real battle she shuts down um but you're right it does like those being back-to-back episodes does make it feel like a she's our main character is she gonna do something cool like it it was a while ago that she did the writer kick like yeah (laughs) though in concept I i do really like the like oh it's my first battle it's also i like that they just like like nonchalantly drop that like oh yeah by the way this is the first like official like military deployment of mechs ever <laughs> by the way no pressure mm-hmm. but i do like her like shutting down and like the terror of like how large spaces and how fast these uh giant monsters are moving that like she just like can't keep up can't like process like her emotions and her feelings and, and everything and also like the terror of like oh yeah you're out there with your buddy like you're partnered up but you can't see your partner. You're just you're just on like radio call. <laughs> you just gotta trust that they're still there. That like that is genuinely terrifying. I I think the episode is very effective at like just showing like how overwhelmed she is with like here. Look, you have all these readouts that you as the viewer don't know what the fuck's going on either. And yeah, some of that like um, mech interface stuff is some of my favorite parts of mech fiction. So I'm very happy how they did it here. Yeah, I meant to mention it in the first episode, but I love how cramped the cockpits are. It's just, like, full of, like, monitors and keyboards and dials and doodads. Well, yeah, when she gets discovered uh, in this episode, or, like, you know, she overhears the, the coach talking with Kazuko? Kaz- Kazumi? Kazumi. Kazumi. I'll remember her name one day. I, d- I just can't get Onesama out of my head, but I don't want to keep saying it. Like, she basically, like, bumps, her, like, her shoulder bumps something that opens up the, the cockpit kind of thing like it's a very small space that it's possible to accidentally do that i also had a note in this this is the third time that they cut to noriko in black and white because they did that every other episode i'm like god damn there's mm-hmm. every episode we got to cut to her in black and white I-, I wanted her to to go out there freaks out but then with smith's advice like smith tells her hey you got this and then she goes you're right and maybe Smith still still like still dies, but like, oh, she gave them a, a fight for their lives kind of thing. But instead, it's just like, oh, I just came out and immediately di- like fucked up every possible way I could kind of thing. Like, it's a nice it's like a good representation of like, hey, being out there would be terrifying and like scary and everything. But they've already done that or they should have done that earlier and not had it again. It's just like, why are you doing it now? If I were if I were any sort of senior command, I would probably pull coach aside and say like, "Hey, I don't know that you're right about this Doriko girl. Like she might have natural talent, but I don't think this is it." Well, just you wait. He's going to be proven so fucking right in the next episode. Mm. You're going to be ashamed of your words and deeds. <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about uh the most important part of this episode. I'm of course referring to the pizza vending machine. 
Mm. <laughs> I don't know if y'all caught that, but in the break room snack area that she like talks with Smith in before they like uh, decide to partner up or whatever, there's a pizza vending machine, <laughs> which I feel like so many of these uh, like 80s mecha anime have that shit of just like they're just imagining like what's life like on a spaceship and then in both this and Gundam it's like well you can only drink liquids out of straws so everything's in like a sippy cup uh and then Gundam it's like well what if we had a beer uh vending machine because they're in Zeta Gundam there's like a vending machine that's got like two sides and one is like it's like either coke or coffee and the other side says beer (laughs) it's like you got two (laughs) beverage options in the break room uh in this it's what if a pizza vending machine but no one gets any pizza. That's very disappointing. The other important part of this episode to me, which is a uh, dub only, is they give uh, Smith's dub VA a, uh, make Smith's dub VA do a Texas draw, uh, which again is like Young's like Russian accent, where it's not like overpowering, but it's definitely noticeable. It's definitely there. Um, but I feel like it's 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 good. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I like him being like this. Well, well, sorry, Miss. Um, you know, it's not full like well, howdy, partner. But it is like you know. Uh, uh, doing the thing uh, and i i appreciate that it makes him way more fun in the dub than he is in the uh um uh in the original um especially like uh because he is like a lame duck there's like the scene of them cleaning the laser cannons as punishment which i think is fun because they're just like these giant lenses on the side of the ship that they're like polishing um and in the you know in the in both of them it's like norika's like looking up to the sky's like oh aren't these uh you know like these nebula so beautiful uh and Smith is like, yeah, yeah, whatever, who cares? And she's like, oh, you don't have a like a romantic bone in your body, do you? Um, in the like, all the dialogue is the same in the dub, but it's way more fun with him doing it with a Texas accent. It's like, well, I just don't understand the big old deal. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, very fun, uh, g- very good uh, direction decisions uh, happening in the dub. He also just looks like uh, Guile from Street Fighter to me with the hair. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else felt similarly. I mean, I didn't, I didn't peg that I character because I don't remember the character's name, but yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, I really like, uh, so at the beginning of the episode, they're like, oh, we're entering subspace, and whenever that happens, like, we're ordered to stay in our quarters, um, like, on alert. Uh, and I like that, like, it's like, oh, but we find good ways to pass the time, and it cuts to, like, Young telling a ghost story, specifically, like, about, like, ghosts in subspace. Like, oh, subspace is where the dead lie or whatever. I'm like, that's it's a connected fun to the little spiritual detail. realm. Yeah. But it's just like fun. Like, of course they would like do that. Like, it's very like teen movie stuff, um, which I enjoy. Also, just like the animation sequence of the ship entering subspace is extremely cool. Big fan. Mm-hmm. And also, again, the Exilion itself. Very cool. I like that the. There's a lot of cool like design and world building details in the show, I think, that like don't get like. A ton of focus but they're there and they're cool again very much like pe- the people making the show just wanted to make something that they thought was cool <laughs> uh and i think they they did largely succeed uh but like the exilion is such a big ship that it's got its own like train system to get around it because um, mm-hmm. like noriko has to like hurry from where wherever she is on the ship cleaning the laser uh cannons to like her locker room to get changed and ready for the battle and she's got to like hop on the train and you get like the announcer like oh the next stop is like like locker room b or whatever i just think that's fun i love that it's not just like oh this is it's not like a big shell situation where it's like oh you take mm-hmm. the tram yeah uh grandma milk cares. um it's you, you take the tram from one shell to another shell or to like whatever it's like specifically to different rooms 
Like this yeah. is the locker room. This like the amount of space between even just trivial rooms is enough to warrant a, a thing. It's not like, oh, this goes from hub to hub. It goes from room to room, essentially. Yeah, it's it's not just like an airport people mover. It's like a full on like they 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 show the like like train diagram of like all the different tracks like there's multiple tracks that run across the ship and it's very much like a new york subway diagram there's like that many dots on it mm-hmm. i just think it's fun it's very also very like um i guess this is around the same time um star trek next generation like the um elevators or there, there's a different name for them but you know what i mean like the elevators on the the enterprise like kind of move in that same way where they can take you anywhere on the ship uh left right up down sideways whatever mm-hmm. I also didn't mention in my episode description the text crawl at the beginning of the episode, which I learned, Danny, that the version you watched didn't even bother to translate, (laughs) which is funny in its own way. But the episode starts with like a text crawl that that starts with like, uh, uh, for the convenience of the viewer, here's the story so far. And then it goes into like a diatribe about like quantum physics or whatever, uh, or like, you know, spatial physics, whatever. Uh, which don't matter, <laughs> but it's just funny to be like, ah, quick recap for our viewers at home, and then it has nothing to do with the story, which, again, makes sense, because if you were buying these as, like, their original releases, you would have already owned and watched the first two episodes on your VHS probably dozens of times by the time you were watching episode three, because episode three is on, like, the second release. So it's like, ah, the story so far, and then you don't, you get nothing that helps you. And also you get to listen to like, uh, it's like Coach and Noriko doing karaoke <laughs> over top of it. Is that who it was? I didn't pay attention. Like, I, I must have just missed who was singing. But okay, I didn't realize that that was who was singing. It's definitely Coach. I can't remember if it's Kazumi or Noriko, but I think it's Noriko. I should know because I watched it twice. But, um, but I thought that was a very funny gag. And then also like kind of similarly in one of the um, science lessons, they go on this big, one of the science lessons is about like faster than life travel. And they give like the full name for their like warp technology. And uh, after the science lesson ends, it cuts to like a black screen that says like, uh, we apologize. We messed up one of the uh, words in this big acronym we gave you. It actually should have been like this instead of that or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and it's like signed Hidekiano. It's like we, we oh. apologize for the inconvenience. Hidekiano. Very funny. And then the second uh, science lesson is probably the best one that's the one where she reveals herself to be an otaku but it does like a size comparison with everything in the show so it's like ah for reference here's a human next to like the gunbuster, next to like the tokyo tower next to the exilion next to this type of alien ship and this type of alien ship and uh just like it's fun and that's when like noriko's like ah the gunbuster, just like uh get a robo <laughs> like ah the the monsters just like the monsters from ultraman ace and then Kazumi is like, oh, you're the biggest otaku in the universe, which is good for her. <laughs> I, uh, uh, so, you know, talked about the last time, like, really liking the emotional beats in the show. I really like the ending of this episode. I definitely see your complaints, Danny, um, but I think it's all worth it for the ending where it's kind of like her dad dying, where it's like all she has to go off is like, well, she lost communication with Smith, but maybe he's still out there. And then she, like, waits in the hangar bay and doesn't see him come back. And it's like, well, well, maybe he came back before me. And so she goes to see like his dorm room and the moment of like her opening it up and there's no words exchanged, but she, you can so clearly see on the faces of the people in his like quarters of like, oh yeah, dude is dead. And they're like fucked up over it, um, really hits. Um, and then her like finding coach and like, um, just like kind of having a, uh, emotional moment in front of, uh, him 
and being like, you know, like being like, I'm, you know, I'm sad that he died and like, I, I should have been able to do something, but I don't know what to do and help me coach. Like it's a, it's a good moment. Um, especially in juxtaposition of like, it mirrors like earlier in the episode when she sneaks out to do the dare. Um, except at this time, like she's sneaking out for different reasons. And instead of the coach, like getting mad at her for sneaking out, he's, it's, there's more of like an acceptance there of like, I understand why you've, you know, snuck out of your room and come to see me. Um, and also getting the first real shot of the gunbuster, which we'll talk more about next time, but is sick as hell. Hell yeah. I, I agree with you in terms of like the emotional moments, uh, all working really well. It's the connective tissue or maybe the the moments that happen in between in terms of like character agency and action and reaction and everything that makes it really frustrating. Like you said, she just needs another W. Um, and coincidentally, I think I had the same complaint about Evangelion, the series, mm-hmm. where at a certain point, it's just like, maybe you just like Shinji, just reevaluate what's going on here, buddy. Like, y- you know, you're the common thread here. And maybe at a certain point, we got to start thinking if you're cut out for this job. And it's a little different there. But here it's like, dude, she really can't fight. And she's got someone killed, essentially. Like, why are we still training her? Like, someone made a mistake at this point, kind of like. There's not enough W's along the way, other than the one time she did a cool rider kick, mm-hmm. where it's just like, all right, like you know, maybe you, Noriko needs to tap out on this one. You just gotta believe in the hardworking guts. That's man. true. Mm-hmm. Definitely spoiled by knowledge of uh, the upcoming episodes because Noriko about to get some massive W's. Um. <laughs> Same here. It's like a lot of my um, fondness for like the pacing is a lot of like knowledge of what happens and me feeling like it sets up those moments later very mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I think before I sat down to rewatch the show, my like memories of the show are mostly episode 1 and then episodes 4, 5 and 6, but specifically episodes 4 and 6. There's just great stuff in those. Um and like 2 and 3 do a good job of setting up stuff that comes later, um but I could definitely see like exactly where you're coming from, Dan, to the point where like I kind of thought, like, while I was watching this, like, oh, I can kind of see if Danny would have these kinds of problems with it. Especially, like, um, I, I put a pin in this earlier, so I'll come back to it. I do... I'm I'm personally, like, kind of 50-50 on how they handle, like, the reveal of the space monsters. Because, like, in the fight, Noriko only really sees them, like, in, like, blurs, like, flying mm-hmm. past them. And I think that's a cool thing to do to, like, kind of hold out on, like, actually showing them. And then you get the sick shot at the end of the big space monster coming out of the star, um, which is awesome. Uh, but like, I do kind of feel like, okay, I'm halfway through the show. Can, can you at least show me a little bit more of the space monsters? Uh, can we, can we get some sort of actual like fighting in this episode instead of Noriko just like kind of letting them fly past her? So I, I definitely kind of see like both sides of it of like, oh, it's kind of cool to hold your cards close to your chest on this, but also like I am watching like a, a mech show i do want to see some mech fights and not yeah. just someone having a panic attack in a in a cockpit and i feel like you know that hideki Anno grew as a creator and he made evangelion which gives you both you can you can have some cool mech monster shit happening while someone has a panic attack in the cockpit um but also gundam did that before him so yeah um but uh, I'll, I'll also come back to another pen i had uh, put in the conversation which is um uh, I kind of thought of this recently of like why the show takes until episode four to do, I mean, spoilers, the big gunbuster battle stuff. Not that that's that big of a spoiler, <laughs> but um, you know, 
the way OVAs are produced are like, you know, like you recoup budget by selling like the first two episodes before you finish making the next two episodes and then so on for the last, you know, set of two episodes. So it makes sense of like, oh, we're going to save the big animation stuff, like the big robot fights for the later episodes. (laughs) And we're going to try to cheat our way through the first three episodes. Like that just like makes sense to me of like why you would be like, okay, well, we're not going to introduce the gunbuster to episode four because we don't have the like production means to make that happen until episode four. It's kind of my like pocket theory on that. It's a hundred percent conjecture. But when you think about like the economics of making a show like this, that kind of checks out to me. And, you know, I feel like if, if that's your limitation, if it's like we feasibly cannot put the big super robot in this show until episode four, how are we going to, craft three episodes before that i think they do a pretty good job of like cheating their way through that mm, i mean it's it's if that's what they wanted to do then yeah they did the best they could i guess but i i don't it's one of those things where like from the jump i don't agree with the uh like their decision to to do that when it's like oh man the first three episodes could really be trimmed down to like one and a half maybe two yeah i don't disagree but i, I just think it like it makes sense in the reality of producing it in an 80s uh, OVA when you're like a fledgling studio trying desperately to not have another commercial flop. Yeah, if if they released, I mean, they did release it as like episode one, two, episode two, three, episode four, five, or one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not have bought the second volume after the first one, probably. Mm. And then depending on what four is like, maybe four will completely change me. I wouldn't buy five and six after watching three and four. Um, yeah. Or, you know, three, but. You just weren't a uh, brain poisoned otaku in the 80s because you just mm-hmm. know, like, this, <laughs> this show is laser targeted at that kind of person. There's a, there's a reason why the show is very successful. Um, the series was very successful. Um, I'm trying to think of other notes I have. I talked about the big monster at the end, which is very cool. I just love the idea, too, of like, yeah, they incubate their eggs in, uh, in stars. Like, that's a sick sci-fi concept. Um, like if you're going to do like, I, I do kind of get bummed out about shows that do this of like, Oh yeah. The, uh, bad guy we're facing is just like a, like a, you know, kind of like faceless space monster. Don't worry about it. I like conflicts that have more politics and intrigue to them, but if you're going to do it, do some cool shit with it. And this, this show does some cool shit with it. Um, I also like that. Um, there's a couple of cool, uh, like mech gore shots. Um, you know, kind of like treating the mech as a body and like the circuitry and wires and stuff being like analogous to like human body gore. When um, Noriko comes back onto the launch bay after the like failed operation um, and she sees like a couple of mechs that like survive the battle but are like kind of torn up. And there's just like mm-hmm. some great like art and animation in those shots. There's a shot where um, the mech like head is taken off. Mm and like the skull cap is or whatever and like the the tubes and everything in there look very much like a brain. I was like, "Oh, okay, that's neat." I don't think it's doing the Ava thing, but, you know. No. It's also it, it it's more in line with like Zeta Gundam, which is definitely a, a show I think of as like kind of pioneering a lot of that kind of aesthetic. Um Is Zeta before this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Zeta's like 84, 85. Mm. Definitely an influence on this. And then think speaking of things that are sick as hell, um the like I don't know how you describe them, but like the visualizers that are on the bridge that like visualize space and like the fields of battle and stuff, one are cool as hell, but also it's just like straight up like a proto version of like the nerve stuff mm-hmm. in uh, Ava. Yep. 
which like hey it's cool so of course they they ported that into ava also the bridge itself is extremely like nerve hq um with like the like escalators <laughs> like there's like different tiers to like the the bridge um much like the the nerve hq um so i think that's cool yeah i think that's it i think that's all i got for episode three do y'all have anything else no that basically hit everything for me i mean i was going to talk about like i think the half episode long uh teased heterosexual romance is superfluous when you know uh noriko already kind of has a crush on a girl you know i hate heterosexuals just had to get that one off my chest (laughs) i don't think the the romance thing happens especially like with the previous series very much like having noriko already have a crush well see you uh you know it's actually a very progressive uh stance because that this show takes because we're used to having women die for male heroes to become more developed it's the inverse here we got a himbo dying for the for the cause of yeah. developing a lady. We got we got a Texan dying. <laughs> I hope there's oh god, what's the Garfield shirt where it's like when I die, I'm not going to heaven? I hope, I hope I hope they let cowboys in. The- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. I gotta look that up. I gotta know. Um, <laughs> Does heaven it, have room for cowboys? Oh yeah, yeah. When when I die, I may not go to heaven. I don't know if they let cowboys in. Hell yeah. And it's Garfield wearing a, a big ten gallon hat. Yeah, it'll be it's it's that, but it's um I keep wanting to say Slagalar, uh Smith Torin. Okay, but someone should make a shirt with Slagger Law wearing a ten gallon hat that says <laughs> when I die, I don't know if I'll go to heaven. I don't know if they let cowboys in. <laughs> God I fucking love Slagger Law. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> I I love him. Such a such a jerk. I, I but... cannot fucking agree with wow, that one. Yeah. So some of us love shitty men. It's different for some of us. <laughs> I, um, I I want a man who is. I think in Gundam, his last scene is him being like really misogynistic or like slapping a woman, and then he goes and dies. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. He either like slaps or kisses uh Mirai before like heading out into battle and dying. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. I mean, just like inevitably, I'm gonna end up watching more Zeta, and that'll be just like this about a uh, Haman Karn. So like, I know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Gundam Gundam gives both uh, shitty men and <laughs> shitty women. Though Hamankar never did anything wrong, my queen. All right. Speaking of Gundam and speaking of Smith Torin, Smith Torin is voiced by uh, Kazuki Yao, who is motherfucking Judo Ashtao from uh, Double Zeta Gundam. That's my son. That's my boy. Literally what I have in my notes <laughs> when I saw that. Doing a very different vocal performance of this, so I didn't immediately recognize him, but I fucking love uh, Judao. If you're looking at the podcast art from the show, that was the reference for me sitting around the Kotatsu is Judao from Double Zeta Gundam. He's the best boy. But uh, Kazuki Yao is also Frankie and uh, Bentham in One Piece, um, two reoccurring characters, so get that One Piece money, my dude. Um, he is Koichiro Ikitani in Initial D. Uh, he is Rance in the few, like, handful of Rance OVAs they've made, like the Alisoft uh, game Rance. And he is uh, Shinbo Fujiwara in Dan Cougar, another uh, mecha pilot boy. And then uh, this one was an easy one. Uh, Captain Tatsumi Tashiro is voiced by Tamiyo Oki, who we've already covered twice. Um, he was Adelaide's grandfather in Space Dandy. 
Oh, okay. And he was Chief Aramaki in the first Ghost in the Shell movie. Only the first Ghost in the Shell movie, not the second. All right, and I, I guess that's a, a wrap on the first three episodes of Gunbuster. We'll watch episodes four through six next time where the real shit happens. But before we go out, uh, we should talk about what other anime we've watched. I will go first because um, I, I have the power. Uh, as I said, I, st- I started watching Aim for the Ace, which is fucking great. I fucking love old anime. It's like, it's older than I thought. It's like early 70s which is honestly kind of surprising just because of how good the show looks and how good the Blu-ray looks. Shout-outs to Discotheque, as always. That show's a lot of fun. If you watch the first episode of Gunbuster and you're like, damn, I want more of this, uh, just watch Aim for the Ace. I rewatched Porco Rosso um, for reasons, <laughs> uh, mainly just because they were covering it for a podcast I listened to, and I was like, eh, it's like 90 minutes long. And, uh, you know, I don't, it's one of the Ghibli movies I don't mind. Um, but I feel like it's, it's the Ghibli movie that every time I rewatch it, I like it a little bit less. I feel like it's like a, (laughs) it's like a charming, fun movie the first time you watch it. And then that charm really wears off with consecutive viewings. Um, I think the main character kind of fucking sucks. It's just like too misogynistic. There's a bit of misogyny there. I, we watched this movie together with some friends, uh, in a movie night. And I think we were like... (laughs) definitely like really just like lampooning the misogyny that is there it's not as bad as i remembered it being when i rewatched it this time um but it's definitely there but the the main character sucks he's like you know just like a like a nihilist and he doesn't really grow by the end of the movie which like i don't know i feel like that's par for the course with like a lot of um uh miyazaki uh characters of this kind but just like not a very like the most interesting part about the main character marco is uh that he's voiced by uh akio otsuka aka snake in japanese uh, and he's voiced by michael keaton aka batman (laughs) in uh, the english (laughs) dub so like the performances are great but the character kind of sucks um i learned something recently uh on said podcast i was listening to the the next lander uh watch podcast uh where they watched it um i learned that so i knew this movie was made for um Japan Airlines, a Gunbuster connection. Maybe they were watching Porco Rosso oh on their God. flight out to space. <laughs> who could say? Uh, but I knew that this movie got financing from Japan Airlines because it was meant to be like um, played only on Japan Airlines as like an in-flight movie, and it was originally like debuted on Japan Airlines before it hit theaters. But I didn't know it was originally meant to be like only thirty to forty-five minutes. And it's a movie that feels like a 30 to 45 minute idea blown up to 90 minutes. And it, it doesn't need to be that long. Like 90 minutes is not long for a movie, but this movie feels too long. Um, so definitely like, you know, uh, I know the three of us are all kind of like, you know, like, yeah, we were, we as a as a culture need to reexamine our relationship with Studio Ghibli and uh, Hayao Miyazaki movies. This one in particular is just you like, you know, uh, I'm fucking on that train. Yeah. I honestly would rather have those um, be re-examined than Bebop because Ghibli's held up as, or sorry, um, Miyazaki's held up as like a visionary when he's just a fucking shitty old man. Yeah, he's and he's always been a shitty old man. It's bizarre. Yeah, and people kind of given to astonishment with you know the animation being good, which is undeniable. Like great animation in Porco Rosso, but like also you got to kind of tell a compelling story for me to like your movie. <laughs> so, and, and also Miyazaki is not the one who animated them. Like he didn't, yeah. he was, he's not in the trenches, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's the one fucking barking orders and overworking people. <laughs> I, I just, there's, 
just like a conservative aspect to a lot of those movies that just goes unchallenged and i don't like that even in parker rosa there's there's some stuff in that even besides the misogyny that we, we talked about uh, i feel like we should do something ghibli miyazaki at some point for this podcast just to have like a full conversation of it because we bring it up so often um but anyway and then in uh anime janai zone um I got caught up with uh, King Oger, the currently airing Super Sentai show. That show is awesome. Uh, has a really great like mid-series pivot uh, in terms of like who the core set of bad guys are. Uh, there's also like a two-year time jump. I love that in a show, especially like a tokusatsu show. Um, so that show is a ton of fun. Um, and then uh, I fell off of the last Common Rider show that was airing, Common Rider Geats. I read a little bit about how that show ended and I was like, oh, maybe I should have stuck with it. There's some wild shit happening by the end of that show. Um, but I started the new one, uh, which is Common Rider Gotchard, which is, I don't like that name, uh, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but it's fun. I, I like it. I, I dig the main character. He's fun. Uh, the uh, overall cast of characters is pretty fun too. So hoping I stick with this one more than the last several Common Rider shows because I've fallen off of the last three, like halfway through or less. But I like this one so far. And that's about it. Watching some other things, but waiting for those to finish up before I bring them up again. Uh, Danny, Danielle, who wants to go first? I got nothing. Uh, I've been playing Ace Combat 7, though, which is uh, made in cooperation with the Japanese Self-Defense Force, so it's kind of anime. Uh, it's been <laughs> fun. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's it for me. <laughs> nothing says anime like the JSJ. JPEG Dog. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Oh, yeah, JPEG Dog. It's the only troop I respect. All right, so I'll go. Um... First, the only fucking anime from the season I really give uh, a strong, that I have strong opinions about, um, the fourth Bandori uh, seasonal oh, anime. I totally forgot about that. My go. It fucking rules. Oh, really? It's like so much more, like, yeah, no, um, it's kind of like angsty and more drama-y, and the girls are a little bit fucked up, and I'm, I'm so for it. I'm so fucking for it. If you want, like, a girls' band anime that's, like, a little bit angsty and drama-filled, this is the fucking nice. one. It rules. And there's going to be a, another season with the second band introduced in that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Next, I read all of Dungeon Meshi in, oh, like, three fuck days. fuck yeah, Dungeon Meshi fucking rules. <laughs> it's so fucking I'm, I've been good. saying this for years! I'm so normal about Phelan's uh-huh. uh-huh. dragon form. Yeah. So normal. So <laughs> normal about it. <laughs> Um, I'm now um, incredibly excited for the Trigger anime. Yeah, yeah, that'll be that'll be cool. Hopefully, get more people to check out the manga. Cannot recommend that manga. Highly Genuinely, enough. like for me, like top three manga currently being published right now. It's fucking incredible. Well, I mean, it's it's over. Did the Japanese run finish? Because it's still being published in English. Yes, so it's it did. You know, <laughs> still going for me. <laughs> I uh, I'll probably end up picking up the physical. That's how I've been reading it. I don't. I don't pirate manga. I'm not about that. I definitely am because the fucking gap releases in Yurihime series. Oh yeah, is no, that's fair. Like 18 months, a lot of times. <laughs> I'm not fucking about that life. In my watch every single fucking fate thing with my wife, we finished the first season of Prisma Ilya, the magical world spinoff. I had a really good time with it, actually. Um, you do need to have a certain tolerance for horny anime bullshit about ten mm-hmm. year olds. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a, mm, wait, <laughs> just a so small I, so, you know, tolerance. So an for easily it. recommendable anime. I never. If you are are okay with that stuff, 
I would recommend it. If not, I totally understand. Because I do like a lot of the uh, magical girl aspects of it. And look, the fucking girls actually kiss at the end of the first season. Like, yeah, let's the fucking go. But they are 10, so your mileage may vary. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, no. I've given my own opinion. No, no here. judge, but it, it both being that and being related to fate is like, you know, like, why on earth would I want? Watch that over anything else, but again, <laughs> do you? And um, something that I could fucking talk for two hours about. I finished Final Fantasy 16. Hey. Game fucking sucks, y'all. Game fucking sucks. I haven't even played it, and I could have told you that. Like, uh, it's just disappointing on so many levels between the gameplay and the writing and the story. It's a bummer. Yeah. Like, it's it's always a bummer when like a big entry in a in a franchise that just sucks like that. Well, especially when like. A, a series that like for the last several years has been dominated by like the popular popularity of the MMO, uh, a remake of a uh, extremely great game that like, I think the remake's cool, but didn't need a remake. And then a bunch of like mobile games and spinoffs and a bunch of other stuff, like, you know, for them to finally do a new single player uh, RPG final fantasy game. And it be by most people's accounts, like kind of disappointing is um to me disappointing as someone that hasn't played that game but also i saw the staff associated with that game when they first announced that and i was like i don't think i'm gonna like this game so i'm not surprised by the reaction personally yeah it really does end up feeling like an mmo in certain parts much to the game's detriment yeah it's a bummer yeah it's a bummer um game tries way too hard to be game of thrones oh once. N- nothing uh, should ever probably try to half. be game of thrones but that's not that's not like a fucking uh that's not what you want in a fucking video game. Like, I'm, like, I'm not saying you can't make, like, video games, but, like, I'm so fucking tired of, like, the prestige game that, like, has to be all bleak all the time. It's exhausting. There's no fucking minigames in a goddamn Final Fantasy Wait, really? game. Really? There, is, there, is there any Chocobo racing? No, you have a Chocobo. Damn. Damn. That's it. Remember when you can, like, cook, cook at the campfire with your boys in Final <laughs> Fantasy 15? Remember that game? I think the one the one positive of sixteen is people are like going back to fifteen Hell more yeah. fondly now. <laughs> it was all worth it because you know then you have characters that like actually fucking interact with each other. I'm gonna be a complete degenerate and pick uh, Final Fantasy fifteen Kingsglaive for this podcast <laughs> at some point. I don't. I, I probably have a decent time. I haven't I've seen, never it seen yet, it but either. I liked fifteen. <sighs> yeah, I, it's such a fucking bummer. Such such a fucking bummer. At least I'm starting to get into the atelier games those are cute little rpgs yeah better world is possible better rpgs are out there uh anything else that's it wow going out on a sour note squares ruined final fantasy again i stayed up late last night to finish it and oh boy the ps5 has no games that's so true <laughs> it has i should have been the stinger <laughs> fuck hey you could say it again it's doubly true all out <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that'll do it for us, uh, Gunbusters, this time. Um, join us next time for episodes four, five, and six. Definitely get the gun, uh, the Discotech uh, Blu-ray if you're interested in watching along, because it's really good. Um, big, big, big fan. They've, they've done God's work over there, as always. Um, until next time, you can follow the podcast on co-host at uh, Under the Kotatsu. You can follow us on Twitter if you're still using that uh, site. I keep hearing rumblings that it's like falling apart by the day. So, um, you know, 
Godspeed when the mass uh, exodus happens because that site doesn't work anymore. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Under the Kotatsu. You can send us your questions. Uh, I used to say you could DM us on Twitter, but I do not check that shit anymore. <laughs> I guess I'd probably get an email if it happened. Uh, but send us an email to uh, underthekotatsu.anime at gmail.com or send us an ask directly on co-host. Uh, I've been your host, Austin. You can find me on uh, co-host at Chai. You can find the Metal Gear Solid playthrough podcast that me and Danny do where we're currently playing through Metal Gear Solid 3 which at the time this is going to come out, we haven't finished playing it in podcast release timeline, but in event eventual time, me and Danny have finished that game. One of the greatest games ever made. Fuck yeah, Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> that game's cool. You can find that podcast at uh, Grind My... Or no, at GMMG on co-host, at Grind My MGS on Twitter, uh, and wherever you find good podcasts. Uh, Danny, where can people find you? Uh, I guess you can find me on co-host at Cover Me and Sauce with uh, underscores between each uh, or dashes between each uh, word. Uh, speaking of MGS, I just realized that I have to update the MGS cork board at some point. Oh uh, yeah, the rumor board. And I started pick like finding all the things, and I went, "Oh my god, there are so many fucking people." I was gonna say like, I feel like MGS three probably just exploded that. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, especially like in like the relation between like the philosophers and like the boss. God. Oh my god, it's gonna be so much. I love that I now understand these things. Mm. <laughs> my my knowledge has expanded. Or you could say this shit before. I'd be like, "What the fuck are the philo- the patriots?" What is that? <laughs> now I know. Well, and the worst part is when someone uh, is dead in one part but not another. Like right now, mm. big boss is labeled as dead, but like we just finished MGS three, so he's That's not true. dead there, but he is dead. Yeah. And then like and there are multiple different characters and I have to keep moving people around <laughs> because um like you know they're in a different game so I don't want like a bunch of really long arrows but they're connect like I just tried to move snake out of the way I'm like oh he's connected to fucking everything I can't move him same with ocelot I'm like well I have a new ocelot to put oh god I have so much shit to do That's true the, the entirety of reality pivots around snake and ocelot and their uh gay romance well, and the worst part is the there's a fucking I know Konami has released this. They like on the MGS4 disc. There's a wait, really? <laughs> not on the MGS4 disc. It's on like the um they released like MGS4 like bonus content forever ago, and I happened mm. to have it on my PS3 account, and I I downloaded it, and I was like, oh, they literally have a flow chart, like basically the exact same chart that I'm making right now, but like with dates and everything's like wow. well structured and everything. I'm like, god damn it. <laughs> It's like me when I write an episode description for the show and then I see Wikipedia off to the side. It's just like, that's just sitting over there. <laughs> All right. And then uh, <laughs> Danielle, where can people find you? I am Yuri Bunny with one N on Tumblr and Blue Sky and Bonnie 2, the sequel to Bonnie on Co-host. Yes, you've, you've learned. You've got to uh, <laughs> get, get to it before uh-huh. me and Danny say it. So I just autofill that. It's just like, you know, it's just built into my brain. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it. Do us for this time. Uh, until next time, Danielle, take us out of here. Be crimes, do gay, and remember to get those high schooler titties drawn in for your VHS sales. I'm always telling people that. They are very well animated, though. You got to give them that. In the OP, it's really funny because she like takes a step, lands the step, and then there's a jiggle. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. It's also like, I wouldn't say realistically animated, but way more realistically animated than like the next 30 years of anime. So, you know, <laughs> you, you take it where you can. <laughs>